0: Lesson 4 for April 19 to 25, Christ and the Law in the Sermon on the Mount. Sabbath afternoon, April 19. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, many times we've thought about that occasion when Jesus sat down or even stood in front of His disciples and other people on the Mount of Olives and as he opened to them an understanding which was so different to them from what they had learned. And as we study that today and through this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Let's read that again, Matthew five seventeen and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. When most people think about the Sermon on the Mount, they automatically think of the Beatitudes. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. However, the Sermon on the Mount actually covers three chapters that have been divided into four sections. The Beatitudes comprise only the first section. In the second, Jesus compares Christians to light and salt. That's chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. The third, Matthew five seventeen to 48, is where Jesus gives us a new and deeper perspective on the law, and then there is the final and longest section. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, right through to chapter 7, verse 23, in which Jesus provides clear teaching on Christian behaviour. The whole talk ends with the parable of the wise and foolish builders, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, which stresses the importance of obedience to what God calls us to do. This week will investigate the third section, Matthew 5, verses 17 to 48, which theologians call the antitheses, cases in which sharp contrasts are presented to see what it teaches us about the law. Sunday, April 21 jot or tittle. Question: Read again Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 20. How interesting that Jesus would greatly emphasize the law here while at the same time making the statement that he did about the scribes and pharisees who so greatly emphasized the law as well. What important lesson does this passage teach us about true obedience to the law? Well, let's have a look first at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins this section with the assurance that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets in verse 17. Although there is no reference to it, many see this as a formulaic Expression for the entire Old Testament, and uh, we can look at some other texts that might help us there. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And Matthew eleven verse thirteen. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And Matthew twenty verse twenty two verse forty. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And Luke sixteen sixteen, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And Acts chapter 13 and verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people say on, and Acts 24, verse 14, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In spite of what his opponents claimed, Jesus did not attack the very book that revealed the will of his Father. Instead, his purpose was to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to do away with them. The word used for fulfill, plero, p-l-e-r-o, literally means to fill up or complete. It carries the sense of filling to the brim. There are two ways to understand fulfill. One is to place the emphasis on Jesus as being the fulfilment of Scripture, as in Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And John 5, verse 39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. However, key to understanding this text is the immediate context which shows that Jesus did not come to destroy Scripture, but to reveal its inner essence. Having established his overall intent, Jesus switched emphasis from the Old Testament in general to the law in particular almost as if he knew that people would one day accuse him of abolishing the law. He cautions that as long as heaven and earth remain, the law will exist until everything is accomplished. That's Matthew five eighteen. With this statement, Jesus confirms the perpetuity of the law. In fact, the law is so important that all those who violate its precepts will be called the least in the kingdom. This is just a way of saying that they are wrong in what they are doing. Jesus is quick to point out that He is not promoting the empty righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but instead a righteousness springing from a heart that loves God and seeks to do His will. April 21 murder Our text for today is Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 26 You have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whoever says to his brother raka shall be in danger of the council But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison." Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. After he clarified his intention to uphold the law, Jesus started to explain a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He begins by citing the sixth commandment, found in Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. And, summarizing from the law of Moses, the penalty for violation as expressed in Exodus 21 and verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. And Leviticus 24.17, whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. The sixth commandment does not include all cases in which one person kills another. In cases of manslaughter, a person could flee to a city of refuge and gain temporary asylum. And we read about that in Exodus chapter 21, verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. And Numbers thirty-five, twelve: They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the menslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation. In judgment. However, one who intentionally took another's life would receive swift judgment. In his explanation, Jesus does not focus on the act itself, but on the motive and intents of the one who commits the act. One might take a life accidentally, but the person who purposes to take a life has gone through a period of deliberation. The sin took place before the person even carried out the terrible deed many potential murderers are stopped only by a lack of opportunity question read matthew chapter 5 verse 22 what does jesus equate to murder how does first john 1 sorry first john 3 verse 15 help to emphasize the point what is the real issue here that jesus is pointing to and what does this tell us about the real reach of god's law Matthew 5.22 But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And 1 John 3.15 Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Though the Bible often talks about the power of words, Jesus here takes it to a deeper level. Often the sole purpose of harsh words or cursing is to evoke negative feelings in the victim. Jesus' point is crystal clear. It's not just those who carry through with a crime who are guilty of murder, but also those who speak harsh words to others or who even harbour murderous thoughts. Jesus counsels those harbouring these thoughts to reconcile with their victims before coming to the altar, as we read in Matthew 5 verses 23 to 26 just a little while ago. So to finish today, dwell on the implications of Jesus' words in the text for today. How well have you done in this regard? What does such a high standard tell you about the need to be covered by Christ's righteousness at all times? Tuesday, April 22, Adultery. Our text for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except a sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus' next example involves commandments concerning adultery. He first cites the seventh commandment, You shall not commit adultery. In the context of the law of Moses, adultery took place when a married person was sexually involved with someone other than a spouse. The law was very clear that both parties found guilty of adultery should be put to death. As with the sixth commandment, Jesus gave the deeper implications of this particular commandment. Adultery often starts long before the acts are committed. In the same way that murder starts with the intention to inflict permanent harm on an individual, adultery begins at the very moment when an individual lustfully desires another person, married or single, to whom he or she is not married. Question: Read Matthew chapter 5 verses 29 to 30. How much more forceful could Jesus be in describing the danger of sin? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. After looking at these texts, read Romans 7.24. What important truths are found here? Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here too, Jesus provides an instant remedy for those sins that have been exposed. The solution is not to follow through with the sin, but to have a conversion of the heart. With strong metaphors, Jesus counsels the one who has the problem to do what is necessary if he or she wishes to enter the kingdom. This may mean taking a different route to work or terminating a cherished friendship, but eternal gain far outweighs the passions of the moment. As we saw before, Moses permitted divorce even though he knew it was not part of God's original plan. After addressing married men with roaming eyes and admonishing them to control their impulses, Jesus encourages lifelong marriage fidelity. From the book, Thoughts for the Mount of Blessing, page 61, we come to the end of our day. The surrender of the will is represented as plucking out the eye or cutting off the hand. Often it seems to us that to surrender the will to God is to consent to go through life maimed or crippled. But it is better, says Christ, for self to be maimed, wounded, crippled, if thus you may enter into life. That which you look upon as disaster is the door to highest benefit. And the question we ask is, what implication might these words have for you? Wednesday, April 23. Promises, promises, and our text for today is Matthew five thirty three through to 37. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King." Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. The first two antitheses, murder and adultery, are based on the Decalogue. The antitheses regarding divorce and the ones that follow are taken from other sections of the Mosaic law, including the one about swearing falsely and performing oaths to the Lord. Question. Read Leviticus chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. What specific points do we find here? You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbour, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. And we're to compare that with Exodus 20, verse 7, which says, You shall not steal. The Mosaic law from which Jesus quotes is listed in a section of Leviticus that condemns a number of deceptive practices. Here again, it is evident that Jesus' concern is about the intentions— Anyone who makes a promise with no intention of fulfilling it has made a conscious decision to sin. Though the command against swearing falsely relates to promises made to other people, the second command concerns promises made to God. Question: Read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. In what way do these verses relate to Jesus' words in Matthew 5:33 to 37? And also have a look at Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. Well, first of all, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised, with your mouth. And Jesus' words in Matthew five thirty three to 37 Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And we're going to have a look also at the same time at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. Unlike the person guilty of false swearing, the one who makes a financial pledge to God is not necessarily intending to defraud. However, Jesus knows human nature and cautions against making promises that one may later regret. Rather than making promises that may not even be in the power of the individual to fulfill, a Christian should be a person of integrity, whose yes means yes, and no means no. So, to finish today, think about a time that you made a promise either to a person or to God that you intended to keep but ultimately didn't. How can you learn to be careful about this problem? What about promises to yourself that you have reneged on? Thursday, April twenty-four. Lex Talionis Our text for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust." For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It appears that the common theme here in Matthew 5 is revenge. This theme concerns the many commandments in the Mosaic Law that are built on the principle of repaying a crime with an equal punishment, an idea called lax talionis, a Latin term meaning law of retaliation. As we see in a number of passages, in Exodus 21 and Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy 19, The law called for the offender to suffer the same experience as the victim. Let's read uh, Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And in Leviticus 24, verses 17 to 21, "'Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbour, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him.' And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. And Deuteronomy 19:21, Your eyes shall not pity, life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. If the victim lost an eye, arm, foot, or life, the offender must also. This law of retaliation was common among a number of ancient civilizations. Why not? since it seems to reveal a simple principle of justice. It's important to realise that this principle is there to limit retaliation, that is, to keep people from extracting more from a wrong done to them than they are rightfully entitled to extract. Thus, in many ways, this law was to ensure that justice was not perverted. Therefore, in Matthew five thirty-eight to 42 Jesus was not necessarily attacking the legitimacy of a law that demanded a person to be punished for a crime. Instead, Jesus focused on the Christians' response to people who tried to take advantage of them. Rather than seeking opportunities for revenge, Christians should retaliate with kindness, something that we can only do through the grace of God working within us. In this appeal, Jesus has taken us to a deeper level in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of the Lord. The final antithesis addresses the attitude that promotes love for friends and hatred for enemies. The command to love your neighbor is found in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. There is no explicit text that calls for hatred of enemies, even despite Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 6. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. In the context of Jesus' world, the Jews were under foreign occupation by the Roman oppressive power and were second-class citizens in their own land. Given their oppression they probably felt justified in hating their enemy, who at times severely oppressed them. Jesus was showing them a better way to live, even under less than ideal circumstances. And so to finish today, read Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 and 45. What is Jesus saying to us here? More important, in what way can you apply this teaching in your own life with someone who has done you Wrong. Verses 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. FRIDAY, APRIL 25. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 310 we read, Jesus takes all the commandments separately and explains the depth and breadth of their requirement. Instead of removing one jot of their force, he shows how far-reaching their principles are and exposes the fatal mistake of the Jews in their outward show of obedience. He declares that by the evil thought or the lustful look, the law of God is transgressed. One who becomes a party to the least injustice is breaking the law and degrading his own moral nature. Murder first exists in the mind. He who gives hatred a place in his heart is setting his feet in the path of the murderer and his offerings are abhorrent to God. End of quote. Love is the binding principle in God's law. In each of the antitheses, Jesus elevates the principle of love. Love keeps a person from harbouring hatred toward his sister. Love keeps a husband and wife together. Love challenges the Christian to be always honest in his dealings with others and God. Love allows a person to react in kindness when he has been wronged, and love empowers the individual to treat the enemy as he himself would like to be treated. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Number one. In this week's section, Jesus said, You have heard it has been said by them of old, and then later said, But I say unto you, and then gave the antitheses. Notice that some of the sayings of old were direct quotes from the Bible or taken from Old Testament teachings. Thus, the problem was not with the references, but with how they were being interpreted. What lesson can we take from this regarding, if not our doctrines, the way in which we interpret them? How might we be in danger of looking at things too superficially and missing the deeper meaning? Number 2. Many fall into the trap of interpreting texts in isolation from other texts. One such text is Matthew 5.48. Demonstrate the importance of careful Bible study. How would you respond to a person who claimed that this text was teaching sinlessness? What is the text really teaching? And why does this teaching reveal the true meaning of being a follower of Jesus? And number 3, how did the texts we studied, particularly about murder and adultery, help to show how wrong those are who claim the law was abolished after the cross? Inside Story Patricia's Prayer Patricia lives in central Cameroon. She is a lot like other girls. She likes to jump rope and talk with her friends, but in some ways Patricia is different from other children. She has HIV and often feels sick. Two years ago Patricia's mother died of AIDS and Patricia and her sisters went to live with their grandmother. Her father couldn't pay the girls' tuition at the Seventh-day Adventist school they were attending, so he sent them to the public school near their home. But the children in the public school shunned Patricia because of her illness. The girl begged her father to let her return to the Adventist school. "'The teachers and the children in the Adventist school don't tease me,' she said. "'They pray for me. They help me if I don't feel well or need help. Please, please, let me go to the Adventist school.' Finally, Patricia's father allowed her to return to the Adventist school. I love my school, she says. When I'm feeling well, I'm just one of the children in my class. And when I'm not well, the teachers and the children help me. Patricia's father can't always pay her tuition, so Patricia prays that God will make a way for her to remain in school. Patricia enjoys attending Sabbath school too. She likes the Bible stories the most. My favourite story is about Moses, she says. When he was born, he was hidden in a basket and found by the Pharaoh's daughter. God saved him from death because his mother prayed for him. God loved Moses very much, Patricia says with a smile. He gave Moses a special work to do. I know that God loves me and he has something special for me to do too. God can use me to help people come to Jesus. I don't know how he will do that, but I know he will. Patricia wants others to know that even if they have problems in life, whether they are poor or sick or have no money, God is with them and will help them. Trust God and worship Him, she says. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus. That way others will know that Jesus lives in your heart. Patricia knows that God didn't make her sick, but He can use her sickness to help other people learn about His love. She learned that at the little Adventist school in a village in Cameroon in Africa. Our mission offerings help to build schools such as the one Patricia attends. Thank you for being a part of something larger than any of us. God's work around the world. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.